still have your Bibles open, keep them there to Psalm 27. That's going to be our text this morning. I'll tell you that uh, I'm going to pick up where Brother Eric left off Wednesday evening. The title of the message is, Whom Shall I Fear? You know, this world is full of scary, evil things. If you don't want to be able to sleep at night, just watch the 11 o'clock news before you go to bed at night. You know? I mean, it's just uh, things, if these things happen, it's, I mean, they're going to be painful. They're going to, you know, be negative things for our country and, and neighborhoods and so forth. But which of those things should the believer fear? Now, doctrinally, everybody here already knows the answer to that question, don't we? We shouldn't be afraid of any of them. Because our God is the one who's in control of them. You know, all these things can only happen. They can only do to us what our sovereign God allows them to do. Now, by God's grace, we do fear the Lord, don't we? We fear the Lord. We reverence him. And the believer is afraid not to trust in the Lord. That's what I'm afraid of. Is that God will leave me to myself and I won't trust the Lord. But if you fear the Lord, you don't have any reason to be afraid of anything. Nothing. And in this psalm, David gives us eight specific things that every believer comes in contact with, comes face to face with. And David tells us why the believer does not have to be afraid of these eight things. Number one is this. I don't have to be afraid of the darkness of unbelief and spiritual ignorance. If the Lord is my light. Verse 1, David says, the Lord is my light. Now, by nature, we are spiritual darkness. It's not just that we're in spiritual darkness. Our hearts are spiritual darkness. It's the darkness of unbelief. It's the darkness of ignorance of who God is, of, of who we are. But, you know, you don't have to be afraid of that darkness of unbelief, that darkness of ignorance. If the Lord is your light. Now by nature we don't see. We, we don't understand. We don't believe any spiritual truth. You know by nature I think. I'm pretty good. You know why I think I'm pretty good? Because I'm in darkness. And when I look at the mirror I can't see myself. I can't see myself as I am. That's why I think I'm pretty good. The only way I could ever see myself as I really am. Is in the light of Christ is in his light by comparison to him. If I see myself in the light of Christ, if he shows me who I am in the light of him by comparison to him, I'm going to abhor myself. Just like Job did of old. Remember he said, I've heard of you, but now I see you. Wherefore I abhor myself. Isaiah thought he was something, didn't he? He thought he was, he was somebody so great he could go woeing on everybody else. And then he saw the Lord. And he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I know that because I've seen the Lord. I've seen him myself in his light. And you know, the only way I can see how God saves sinners, it's in the light of Christ. Man inherently knows there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There's a separation between me and God. And men have come up with all kinds of ways to fix that problem, to try to reconcile themselves to God. But nobody, I don't care how smart they are, nobody can see how God saves sinners 
without the light of Christ. You see, the real issue is not just sinners in general. Here's the real issue. How can God save a sinner like me? Huh? And still be God? That's the question. The only way God can be holy and just and still have mercy on a sinner like me is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's got to be by his obedience. I can't keep the law. Somebody else has got to keep it for me. I can't put my sin away. Somebody else has got to do it for me. That's why Christ came. To obey the laws, the representative of his people. To make them righteous by his obedience. He came to shed his precious, perfect, sinless blood as a sacrifice to atone for the sin of his people. To pay for their sin and put it away. And God sends us preachers to preach Christ to us. And that preacher, he's going to preach and preach and preach and preach and preach. And if you're God's own, one day, the Holy Spirit's going to open your eyes and you're going to say, I see. Now I see. Oh, I see Christ. Now I understand how God could save a sinner like me. It's only through the obedience of Christ. It's only through the sacrifice of the sinless Lamb of God. He died for me to put away. Now I see. That's how God could save me. I see. I see. I believe. I want you to listen to me for a minute. I never want to, to, uh, I call it ivory tower preaching. You know, it's just pie in the sky kind of, let's just get right, right down here on the dirt road where we live. You who believe, you see Christ, don't you? You see him. You believe him. You trust him. You love him. You do, don't you? But that sight of Christ, And that faith, that trust in him is not going to be perfect. And don't you expect it to be. You'll be sorely disappointed. The very best that we see in this life, scripture says it's through a glass darkly. Just trying to look through a frosted glass. That's the best we can see. But you know what? Now I just see through a glass darkly. But I do still believe (laughs) My faith is weak. It's, it's just, it's imperfect. I mean, that's just the, the best I get. It's imperfect. But I do believe. Now, I do believe. It, it's not what I wish it was. It's not what it should be, but I believe. I see. I, it's not, I don't see as much as I wish I did, but I see. That's why every believer says, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I think unbelief is is the greatest heartache that there is. Weak faith is the greatest heartache that there is to the believer. You see, we all want perfect faith. Wouldn't you love to have perfect faith? I do. I want to have perfect faith. But you know what? It's not perfect faith that saves. It's not even faith that saves. It's Christ who saves. Now we receive him by faith. We see him by faith. But it's Christ that saves. You know why salvation, the salvation of God's people is perfect? It's because Christ is perfect. Whether I believe him strongly or weakly, either way, I'm still perfect. Because Christ is perfect. You see that? I don't have to be afraid of my weakness. 
the weakness of my faith. Because David says here, the Lord's my strength. <laughs> the Lord's my strength. Now, if God's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, there's no reason for you to be afraid of the dark, is there? Now, if Christ is your light, does not. Once you see, you can't unsee. Once you see Christ, you can't see anything else. All right, number two. I don't have to be afraid of condemnation. If the Lord is my salvation. David says the Lord is my light and he is my salvation. Now I know sinners fear damnation. They fear condemnation. I understand that. I understand being afraid of that because that's what our sin deserves. A holy God must punish sin. It's only right that he does. I understand that. But if Christ is my Savior, I don't have to be afraid of that condemnation because my salvation in Christ is perfect. And notice here, David says, the Lord Jehovah is my salvation. It's not just that Christ has saved me, although he has. What he's saying is, Christ is my salvation. Salvation is a person. Salvation is knowing and trusting a person. It's union with a person. It's not knowing all the right facts. It's loving a person. It's trusting a person. Now, if I know him, I've got nothing to fear. Now, I should fear if I've got to work out my own salvation by my own works. If I, if I got to be religious enough, if I got to keep the law well enough, if, if I've got to be moral enough, then I, to be in order to, to, for God to accept me, I should be, I should be afraid. Cause that's a sham. Now, you know it and I know it too. That's a sham. Just religious people are afraid to admit it. But if Christ obeyed the law for me, I don't have fear because his obedience is perfect. If Christ shed his blood to atone for my sin, then my sin's gone. My debt's paid. He's cleansed my soul in his precious sin atoning blood. And if I trust Christ, I don't have anything to fear because my salvation is the person who came to this earth in my flesh. He came to obey the law for me. He came to suffer and die to put my sin away. He died. They took a dead body down from that tree and three days later he came out of the tomb. He rose from the grave. And you know where that person is now? At the right hand of God <laughs> ruling and reigning to ensure my salvation. See, if I, if I know that person, if I trust that person, I've got nothing to fear, do I? Number three, I don't have to be afraid of death if Christ is my life. At the end of verse one, David says, the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, the death of these bodies is something that's coming. We can, uh, we can fight it all we want. We can eat right all we want. We can exercise all we want. And by all means, do those things. <laughs> do those things. But it's not going to stop the death of these bodies. There's no reason for the believer to fear death. Now, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Whatever treatment the doctor tells you to do, do it. But you don't have to fear death the death of these bodies, if Christ is your life. 
See, Christ already died. He rose again for his people. And when he did that, you know what he did? He took the sting of death away. He took the sting of it away. He took sin away. He took, he took the power of sin to condemn you. So that when your body dies, you don't die. You don't die the second death. Christ took the sting out of it. So it can't hurt you. Now if you trust Christ, it can't. All death for the believer is, is to lay this body of sin down and go be with the Lord. That's all it is. That's the best day you and I will ever have. Now, our loved ones that are left behind, it won't be the best day for them. And they're the ones that make it hard to say goodbye. It? But when we do, we say goodbye and we lay this body down. It'll be the best day we've ever had. Because we're going to close our eyes in this world and open them to see the face of Christ the Savior. <laughs> now there's no reason for anybody to be afraid of that. There's no reason for the believer to be afraid of death any more than there is for a tired person to lay down at night to get a good night's sleep. That's good for us, isn't it? Well, it's going to be good for the believer to lay these bodies down. But you know what? They're not going to stay there. They're not going to stay in the grave. The Lord's going to come back and he's going to raise these bodies again. The grave's just temporary. He's going to raise these bodies, but they're not going to be like they are now. They're not going to be sinful, corrupt, decaying, dead, dying flesh. The Lord's going to raise these bodies in perfection. Just like his glorious body. And I'm telling you, I'm not afraid of that. No, I long for it. Because John tells us when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Now there's no fear in that, is there? Then number four, I don't have to be afraid of any enemy because the Lord will fight them for me. Verse two says, when the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart should not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Now, believers have a lot of real enemies. I'm not saying you don't have to fear enemies because you don't have any. No, you got them. Satan is our enemy. Oh, he's a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. Now, don't go looking for him. Don't, you, you can't handle him one-on-one. -on -one. Don't, don't go looking for him. But you don't have to fear him either. You know why? The Lord's already crushed his head. Just like God promised Adam and Eve he would. The sacrifice of Christ took away Satan's power to make any accusation of sin stick against any of God's elect. He's the accuser of the brethren. But Satan can't accuse you of something you're innocent of that Christ already paid for, can he? Satan can't even touch anybody's body without the Lord's permission. So you don't have to be afraid of him. Then there are enemies of the gospel. They slander us. They speak evil of us. And just like many years ago in the Reformation, don't, don't you be mistaken, they'd still burn us at the stake if they could. But you don't have to fear them. You don't have to fear them. They're going to be aggravating us all get out, but you don't have to fear them. The Lord's not going to let them prosper. The Lord may well 
allow them to slander me. He may well allow them to, to harm my body. But they can't touch my soul. And they can never separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, then I don't have fear. But there's another enemy. And this is a dangerous enemy. Deadly enemy. Close to every one of us. Me. <laughs> My sin. David talked about this innumerable host encamped against me. That's my sin. Innumerable host of sin. And that enemy deserves my eternal damnation. But I don't have to be afraid of my sin. I do not have to. Now I'm going to hate it. But I do not have to fear my sin is going to condemn me if I fear Christ. If Christ took my sin in his own body upon the tree, and he put it away. If he has made a curse for me, then I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear that curse. I don't have to fear condemnation because Christ already paid for my sin with his precious blood. The blood of Christ is so effectual. You know what God Almighty said? Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. <laughs> God who cannot forget anything, God who sees everything as it really is, says, I don't remember their sin. Why not? Because they're not there. The blood of Christ washed them away. Now I'm going to hate my sin. I did not get up this morning with the intention of finding all the many different ways that I could sin. I, that wasn't my intention. And I hate my sin. I'm going to strive not to, but I'm still going to. But I don't have to fear. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And you know what that advocate's doing? Pleading his own blood. Pleading his own sacrifice. Nobody knows better than your advocate. He already paid for your sin. That's the one pleading for us. Then I've got nothing to fear, do I? Not for my sin, I don't. Then fifthly, I don't have to be afraid of being spiritually homeless. Because I live in Christ. Verse 4, David says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now being found in Christ is so important. David says it's the one thing I desire. This is what I'm seeking after, this one thing. To be found in Christ. Everything else that I do have. Won't matter a bit. If I'm found outside of Christ. If I miss Christ. Everything else that I have. Is a curse. Not a blessing. If I miss Christ. So I seek after him. I seek after being found in Christ. Like Paul said. Not having my own righteousness. Which is of the law. But that was just through the faith of Christ. The faithfulness of Christ to do everything necessary. Every, he did everything perfectly to make his people righteous. That's the righteousness I want. I want to be found in him. Then seek him. Seek him. Seek him where he may be found. Seek him in his word. 
Seeking where his people gathered together. I'm telling you if, you, if you want to find Christ, wouldn't it be an awful good idea to be where he said he'd be? He said he'd be where two or three gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst of them. He's where the gospel's preached. I tell you, I'd make it a point to be where he is. Seeking, seeking. Now, I can't do anything to get God to save me. I can't do anything to make God save me. You know, if I do this, then God's obligated to save me. I can't do that. Can't do it. But you know what I can do? I can cry out and beg for mercy. I can't be like blind Bartimaeus and just keep crying. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And if somebody tries to shush me up, I'm going to yell it even louder. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, would you help me? I can beg for mercy. That I can do. Begging for mercy. That's seeking the Lord. That's seeking the Lord. See, David here, he's talking about a whole lot more than being in the temple, being in the tabernacle, being in a church building. He's talking about being found in Christ. In Christ. Being hidden in Christ. Now, I learn of Christ in the public worship service. That's why I learn of him. That's why I hear of him preach. But you can be in the public worship service and still miss Christ. David says, I want to be found in Christ. I want to behold his beauty. His beauty. The beauty of his holiness. Not mine. His. I want to be where I can inquire of the Lord. You know, David already says, the Lord's my light. I see. I see Christ. I believe him. But I want to be where I can inquire of him. You know why I want to inquire of him? I want to see him better. I want to know more of him so I trust him more, so I believe him more. I want to learn more of Christ so I rest in him more. I must be found in Christ. Do you know every single believer has that blessing? Because it pleased the Father to put all of his elect where? In Christ. When did he do it? When you decided to accept Jesus? Yes, sir. Before the foundation of the world. Before God created anything, he was pleased to put all of his people in Christ. Now, I don't have to fear being found outside of Christ if the fathers won't put me in him, do I? Then sixthly, I don't have to be afraid of trials that are sure to come because the Lord will deliver me. David says in verse 5, For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Now I'm not saying that you don't have to fear trials and troubles because they won't come. I'm not telling you that you don't have to fear trials and troubles because they'll come, but they won't really hurt you. No, they're going to come. They're coming and they're going to hurt. Otherwise, Peter wouldn't have called them fiery trials. Job said, this is what I've learned, told his friends. Man that is born of woman is a few days, and he's full of trouble. Every one of those days is full of trouble. Now, they're coming. But I don't have to be afraid of those trials. I don't have to be afraid of those troubles, because when they come, when the Lord sends them, he's going to hide me. He's going to hide me. The Lord will hide me so I can't be destroyed by these trials. And David describes here a threefold hiding place for the believer. Number one, he says the Lord will hide me in the king's pavilion. 
You know what the king's pavilion is? It's the place where the king would lay down and sleep. And his best soldiers, his most valiant soldiers, armed to the teeth, would stand around that bed where the king was sleeping, all with their back to the king, facing out. So they'd see any trouble that's coming after the king. King, you just lay here and rest. You don't have to worry about one thing. If it comes, we'll take care of it. Long before it ever gets to you. It's the king's pavilion. The believer is hidden in Christ the king. In Christ the king. I'm telling you, if you're in Christ, nothing can touch you there because nothing can harm Christ. Nothing can touch him. Then David says he's going to hide me in the sacrifice of Christ. When he talks about the secret of his tabernacle. You know what he's talking about? The Holy of Holies. That place only the high priest ever saw it. He went in there once a year, not without blood, and he sprinkled blood on that mercy seat. That's a secret of God's tabernacle. It's the sacrifice of Christ. Now, like I said, you can just bank on it. Trials and troubles are coming. If you belong to God, if you trust him, trials and troubles are coming. But I don't have to be afraid of what they'll do to me. Because I'm resting in Christ my sacrifice. Covered in his blood. And if I'm covered in the blood of Christ, the wrath of God himself can't touch me. Because he's already poured out his wrath upon my substitute. Now, if God's justice can't get to me, Nothing else can either, can it? So I don't have to be afraid of those things. Thirdly, David says he'll hide me on the rock Christ Jesus. Now the tempest, I mean a tempest of trial, the storms, the strong storms, the fierce trials of this life would sweep us away. I mean in a heartbeat they'd sweep us away. Unless our feet are founded upon a rock. The rock Christ Jesus. If God's planted our feet on Christ, if you're trusting Christ and Christ on you're planted on him, you can't be moved by anything. David said in Psalm 62, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. David, how can you be so sure? Because Christ won't be moved. See, if I'm founded in him, he can't move, so I can't either. So the Lord's going to send trials, but when he does, he'll hide us in the secret of his pavilion. He'll hide us. But he's going to send these trials. He's going to send these trials not to drive us away from him, but to drive us closer to him. The Lord sends trials to his children to teach us. To teach us. Because unfortunately in this flesh, that's the only way we're ever going to learn. To be taught in the furnace of trial. Trials teach us how frail we are. You know, if the Lord didn't send us trials, we would be so full of ourselves, nobody could stand to be around us. We'd think we're so strong. You know, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you as strong as me, you know? The Lord sends us trials teach us just how frail we are so that we trust him more fully. Lord sends us trials to teach us how faithful our God is. He's faithful. He'll do what he promised to. He'll hide you. He'll give you grace sufficient, just like he promised. He's going to teach us how faithful he is. So we trust him more. Well, that means that these hard, fiery trials 
are good for us, aren't they? I don't look forward to the next one coming, do you? But they're good for us. You who believe, you can look back over the course of your life and you look at the trials that the Lord sent you. Now when you're going through them, you're suffering, weren't you? But when they were over, when the Lord's pleased to deliver you, and you look back on it, what do you say? That was the best thing for me. That was be- I wouldn't change it. I'm not, I'm not seeking the next one. But that one, Lord, that, now that was the best thing for me. You see, trials reveal true faith. Trials let you know, I really trust Christ. Now, if the trial drives you away from Christ, if, you know, the trial makes you mad, and you say, well, I'm not going back now. It didn't do me no good to be there in that service every Sunday. I'm going to go somewhere else, do something else. Well, then your feet weren't founded on the rock Christ Jesus. You didn't have genuine faith in Christ. But if that trial drives you closer to Christ, now you know, I really do trust him. I really do. And they make us sing his praises. David says in verse 6, and now, after this time of trouble, the Lord hid me, the Lord delivered me. Now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. You just, you, you just, you don't not sing in praises because of the trial. It's because of what the Lord taught you. Nobody can, nobody can sing God's praises any, any better than the person that he's delivered. He's hid in the, in the secret of his tabernacle. Then seventh. Now all oh, this is a great fear of every believer. I don't have to be afraid that the Lord will ignore me. Verse seven. David says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. Now, every believer can understand David's cry here, can't we? Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, hear me when I cry. And David's not crying, Lord, hear me because I did something good. So, you know, I deserve for you to, to, to hear me. I, I haven't, it's not like, well, I haven't done anything to deserve, you know, you not hearing my cry. Lord, hear me because you're merciful. Lord, hear me because you hear the cries of guilty, helpless sinners. Lord, hear me in your mercy. Hear me for Christ's sake. You know, my constant cry to God is for mercy. Mercy and forgiveness. And I'll tell you a real good reason to keep crying for mercy and keep crying for forgiveness is because that's what the Lord told us to do. Verse 8. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I see. Lord, I'm seeking you because you said. I'm seeking you because you said. You told me to seek your face. If you would plead with God, plead his word. Plead his own promises back to him. Because God's not going to allow one word of this book to fall. Plead his promise back to him. He'll keep his promise. A number of years ago, um, on our 25th wedding anniversary, Janet and I took a cruise. 
and we were coming back from dinner one night down the, the hall of that ship, and there was a mother and her little boy behind us. He's three, four years old. And they're walking down the hall. Boy, you know, was happy, and he said, uh, when are we going to go to Nana's room? And she said, we're not, she, you, oh, you could tell. This one been with this four-year-old, she's tired. And she said, we're not going to Nana's room. We're going to go back to our room, lay down for a minute. And this kid starts sobbing. And he said, but you said, if I ate good, we'd go to Nana's room after dinner. And I thought, <laughs> what you going to do now? <sighs> and she sighed and turned around and went to Nana's room. Because that's what she promised him. Oh, how much more our God. Do you need mercy from our God? Lord, you promised you would have mercy on the guilty. Lord, you promised your mercy endureth forever. Lord, you promised if I seek you with all my heart, I'll find you. Lord, you promised. I tell you what, you plead his promise. He'll give it to you. He won't be like that mother. He'll do it gladly. He'll do it gladly. Lord, I'm seeking you. And I'm counting on you to keep your promise. That's a plea that the Lord will answer. And you keep crying until he does. I promise you on the authority of this book, you'll find him. You'll find him. Number nine. Or number eight, if I fear the Lord, I don't have to fear being left alone. Verse nine, hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not. Neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. Lord, don't forsake me. Isn't that a great fear of yours? Lord, finally forsake you and leave you on your own. Remember last week, Psalm 22, we looked at this. You know why the Lord will never leave nor forsake his people? Because our Savior cried from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If the Father forsook Christ your substitute at Calvary, he'll never leave you or forsake you. That's his promise to his people. Then I don't have to fear being left alone. I plead God's promise. I know this. The Lord will keep his word. I know he will. Now you can't count on anyone or anything else like that. Look at verse 10. When my father, my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. You know, our parents raise us so that we can be independent adults. But you know, eventually, it's time to leave the nest. Stand on your own, isn't it? Do you know our Heavenly Father will never make His children leave His house and stand on their own? Never, ever, ever. He'll always hold His children in the palm of His hand. And our parents will eventually die and we're going to be left here alone. That's just, that's the normal course of life, isn't it? Well, our Heavenly Father will never die. He'll never die and leave us alone. He's eternal. The one that's going to die is us. And like I said earlier, when that happens, you know what our Father's going to do? 
Just bring us home to be with him forever. That's all that is. Well, then I don't have to fear being left alone, do I? Then David closes in prayer. You know, he's confident, isn't he? He says, I'm confident in this. But confidence in Christ does not make us presume on the Lord's mercy. Absolute confidence in Christ. You know what that does? It makes us pray. That's what David says in verse 11. Lord, teach teach me thy way, O Lord. Lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. David says, Lord, teach me your way. Teach me Christ the way. He's the way. Teach me him. Lord, teach me Christ so fearing. Teach me the Christ who's the way of salvation, the way of righteousness, the, the way of forgiveness, the way of deliverance from all my fears. Teach me Christ so I trust him alone. And Lord, lead me. Lead me in a plain, well-marked path. I'm just a dumb sheep. I'll wander off sure as the world. Lord, lead me. Don't just teach me what to do and then leave me alone to do it. Lord, teach me and then lead me. Lead me. So I don't go off in in the wrong direction. You know, if the Lord's leading me, I got nothing to fear, do I? Brother Eric used such a a great illustration Wednesday night, talked about going down, when he was a boy, going down a country road alone. He said he just goes fast as his little feet would carry him when it was night, wouldn't you? Just, oh, everything was scary. But he said, well, with my dad, Nothing scared me. I didn't even hear nothing going on in the woods. Nothing scared me. It didn't matter how dark it was. Nothing scared me. If the Lord's leading me, there ain't nothing scary around, is there? No, he'll take care of it. And then David closes with a, a word of encouragement to his brethren. He tells us, now don't quit. He says in verse 13, I'd fainted. I would have quit unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now life's journey is difficult. David already experienced it, didn't he? All the dangers and toils and snares that that we go through. David says, it's already been so difficult, I would have quit. I would have quit if God would let me. I would have quit unless I really believed that Christ is all I needed. I really would have quit unless I believed that Christ was sufficient in every situation. So when you're weak, I mean, you're so weak, you're so beaten down, you just, you think, I can't go on another second. David says, don't quit. Rest in the Lord. Don't quit resting in Him. Don't don't start thinking, I better start doing something to fix this situation. Rest in the Lord. Depend upon Him. He's the strength of your life. I tell you, when the going gets tough, rest more. Rest more in Christ. So wait. Well, it's one of the toughest things in this world to do. Wait. Wait on the Lord. You keep crying to the Lord. Keep crying to Him. And wait on Him.
Wait on him to answer. Because I know this. Our father hears the cries of his children. Do you need mercy? Cry for mercy. Keep crying. Do you need comfort for your heart? Cry. Keep asking for it. Do you need grace sufficient for the hour? Cry and ask for it. God said he'd give it. Cry on him and wait on him to do it. He'll answer, won't he? Sooner or later, usually not as as, uh, as quickly as we wish. You see, when we're in those situations, you know, you know what, what, what is our number one concern? I want out of this. I want the pain to quit. I want the, the suffering to quit. I want the doubt to quit. I want it to just all stop. The Lord's purpose is to teach us something. And when he teaches us, then he'll answer. That's exactly right. So wait on him. Wait on him. All right. I hope the Lord will bless that to you. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for this precious portion of your word. Lord, how we thank you for the, the clear comfort and instruction of your word to wait on thee, to look to thee, to rest in thee, to, to trust in thee, that you're all that we need. Oh, Father, how thankful we are. How thankful we are for your mercy and your grace that you would provide everything your people need in one person in your darling son. And Father, I pray that you take the message as it's been preached. And Father, you'd use it to, to glorify your son, to enable us to see the glory, the redemptive glory of your son, that he would stoop so low to redeem such vile sinners as we are. Father, enable us to see his glory and to rest in him. Father, it's in Christ's name. For his sake and his glory we pray. Amen.